What is up, what is up, what is up? Welcome to The Mitch Davis Show. I'm your host, Mitch Davis, founder of TheMitchDavisShow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at MitchDavis underscore eight. Like and follow the Facebook and Instagram page as well by simply typing in The Mitch Davis Show. On today's podcast, we're going to be joined by Ole Miss beat writer and podcast host for RebelGrove.com, Neil McCready. We're going to talk all things Ole Miss. We're also going to be talking about opening up Swayze Field and Mississippi State and having a full-fledged college football season as well. Neil is a well-respected Ole Miss media guy in the state of Mississippi. Uh, great guy, great interview that I know everybody will enjoy. Again, you can follow me on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore eight. I'm your host and the founder of the MitchDavisShow.com. And at this time, I would like to welcome Neil McCready for, to come on the podcast and to talk all things Ole Miss and the state of Mississippi athletics. I am joined now by Neil McCready, RebelGrove.com, Ole Miss beat writer, co-host of the Oxford Exxon podcast, and just an overall great Mississippian uh, media uh, media guy as well. Welcome to the podcast, Neil. Mitch, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, it's an honor to have you. We're going to go ahead and just jump right into this. Before we start talking about Ole Miss, I've got to ask you, when are we going to see full stadiums at Swayze Field or at doubly nobly there at Mississippi State or this fall? Well, look, if it were up to me, they'd be full stadiums tomorrow. In other words, anybody who wanted to go can go. If you feel safe, go. If you don't feel safe, that's okay. Don't go. Um, no one, no one's going to judge that. Been a, it's been a long year for everyone. Um, but I don't think that's what's coming. Um, I, I think what's coming next week is uh, the governor, Tate Reeves, is going to uh, relax some restrictions, but there's going to be a problem, I think, and that is, I don't, based on what I'm hearing, I don't think they're going to back away from this six-foot requirement. So you can say 50% capacity, but if you have the six-foot thing in, in the six-foot ordinance, in effect, and you enforce it, well, you can't get to 50%. There's, there's physically, the math doesn't work. So I think they're going to do that for a, a few weeks. I do think there comes a point in the middle of April where there's going to be real political pressure on Reeves uh, to, to make significant change. It's two reasons. One, and I don't know what number you believe, whether it's I mean, up to 10,000 Mississippians a day are being vaccinated. We've, um, I think the state has done a terrific job. Credit to, uh, to the governor, credit to Thomas Dobbs, uh, They've done a great job of rolling out the vaccine, getting the, uh, the elderly, getting the, the, the at-risk population vaccinated. Kudos to them. And so if you do the math, as we tape this on February the 26th through the month of March, call it 8,000 a day to be conservative. That's, that's a quarter of a million more Mississippians that are vaccinated. Then you get into the middle of April, and you're even above that now. Get in the middle of April, 
I don't know what weekend Mississippi State has their Super Bulldog weekend, but I know they have Ole Miss coming in for a baseball series. I think it's April the 16th, 17th, and 18th. I'm pretty sure it's that weekend. And I'm going to guess they have spring football going on that weekend. It might even be the weekend of their spring game. Um, whatever. If you're a merchant in Starkville or that, that area, you're, you're going to want attendance. You, you need people to come in and spend money and stay at your hotels and eat at your restaurants and, 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 and fill up at your gas stations and all of those things. And then a week later, here in Oxford, LSU comes here for baseball, and it is the spring game. My apologies to your Mississippi State listeners. I just don't know when their spring game is, but it's, it's going to be around in that range of time. And so from the, uh, the Mississippi State segment and then the Ole Miss segment, there's going to be a lot of pressure on Reeves to open up. So if you told me that we ever got this spring to a full stadium capacity, and for the record, I don't think we will. I hope I'm wrong. I pray I'm wrong. But if, if you told me that it was the middle of April, I'd buy it. If you told me what's, if you asked me what's realistic for a full stadium, I would probably tell you September. Do you think by fall, you know, we're, we're talking April, but by fall, do you think that realistically we'll be in that full stadium at Vault Hemingway or Davis Way down there at Mississippi State or the Rock at Southern Miss? I think we have to be. I mean, unless unless there's a reason to justify not being in it. You know, I mean, I don't want to get super political here because people get so mad at me when I do. But in March of 2020, the goal was don't overrun the hospital system. And I think most people understood that. I certainly did. But we're past that now. Um, I mean, there's a large percentage of the population, self-included, that has had COVID, that has recovered from COVID, that is testing positive for antibodies for COVID. I'm in that boat. Uh, my daughters are in that boat. It went through our house. Um, so if I've got antibodies, and by August, certainly, I'm, I'm going to be vaccinated. By August, if you haven't been vaccinated, you didn't want to be vaccinated. And that's okay. But if we get to that place, I don't understand how you could justify. I mean, we get hung up on stadiums because we cover sports, and I'm, I'm cool with that. I don't know how you justify at, at Ole Miss, at Mississippi State, at Southern Miss, at any other institution of higher learning, how you justify not going back to full-time, in-person um, classes where you're allowing the students to have a, a, a college experience. I don't know how you justify that. At, at some point, in my opinion, it becomes, I'll use the word, it becomes evil to take that away when there's no reason to take it away. We, we now have a lot of data on COVID-19, on how it spreads, on what it does to young people, on what it does to different people. And at some point, people have to be able to say, hey, I'm going to make my own decisions. I'm going to make decisions that are best for me, which is what we do every day. And if again, if you are someone who is not vaccinated and you are someone who is at risk, you're elderly, you're, you've got um, heart disease, maybe you've got a, a compromised immune system, you're overweight, whatever the case may be, whatever it is, and no one's judging those people, but those people have to make a decision based on their set of facts. And if that decision is, hey, I don't feel comfortable going to Vaught Hemingway or to Davis Wade or to wherever, okay, cool, that's, that's good, that's fine. 
But if, if, if your answer is, I do feel comfortable and I want to go, I think at some point we have to let people live. And then I think for people to ignore the economic impact of this is just, it's, it's mind numbingly naive. It's we're, we're destroying businesses which is people's lives. And so at some point you've got to get back. We're no longer threatening the hospital systems. It's time to, you know, one more question about this before we get over to baseball and football and basketball, has there been any numbers put out there about the economic impact of let's say, let's take Starkville or Oxford who lives and dies by those six, seven games in fall. And then those baseball weekends, has there been any economic projections on how much money has been lost? Uh, I haven't seen it, um, but I've talked to people. I mean, I, anecdotally, I mean, people have lost one half to two thirds of their of their income over the course of a year. You might be able to survive that one year. You're not surviving that two years. Um, you know, you you here in in Oxford, for example, this fall, it's it's got to from an economic standpoint. I'm, you know, forget the politics. From an economic standpoint, it's got to be open. And if it's not open, uh there's going to be damage. If it's not open, people are going to lose businesses. People are going to lose jobs. And, and, and politically, you can't just keep throwing stimulus at something. So I, it, this has been a very frustrating year for me. I'm, I'm, I don't fit in my field very well from a, an ideological standpoint. Um, hey, you and I either. Me, me either, brother. I've, I've lost friends. There are people that would normally come on my podcast who won't come on anymore and things like that. And, it, and it's politically based, and, and that's unfortunate. But it is what it is. And um, you know, well, let's, I, jump over, let's jump over to baseball. Let's talk about some good news here. Four no <laughs> Ole Miss Rebels. They've won, what, 20 straight games dating back to last season where they lost the Season opener, the Louisville, and they ravaged through the season and tore it up. What what did you see out of the team in Arlington? I mean, this looked like a college World Series type team in Arlington last weekend. Yeah, you know, I'm not our lead baseball guy, Chase Parham is, but I did watch some of the games. I didn't I didn't sit and watch all four hours of three baseball games in February. Um, but I, I so I'll, I'll give you a an answer here. Number one, four games is a really small sample size. So, you know, any team can look great for four games. So I'll be careful with the big sweeping assertions. They, 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 they're they 4-0. They've played one close game and, and, and kind of dominated the other games. They have a very deep pitching staff. That's got to be really encouraging. They have a lineup that doesn't have glaring holes in it. They can hurt you one through nine. I think they're a solid defensive team, which is a good thing to see early in a season because defense is pretty consistent. Hitting can be streaky. Um, power can be streaky. But defense, is, it tells you something. Here's what I like about this team. And I noticed it last year in the very abbreviated season. They have kind of an edge to them. Um, they They remind me of, and when I say this, I don't mean the talent necessarily, because we'll find out. But they remind me of the the edge that Vanderbilt plays with, where Vanderbilt gets on your nerves, unless you're a Vanderbilt fan, at which point you love them. Uh, Louisville gets on your nerves. Arkansas gets on your nerves, unless you're an Arkansas fan, at which point you love them. And that's where this Ole Miss team is. Ole Miss people love them, and people that aren't Ole Miss fit, people watch this team and they go, "Hey, they're kind of obnoxious. They kind of they're kind of cocky. They." They rub me the wrong way, and I think that's good. 
they they have an edge to them inside their program. I think they play loose, which years ago was a, a knock on on Mike Bianco coach teams that they got tight. This one does not appear to be tight. Now look, it's early, super early, and this league is brutal. And you look around the SEC, and uh, Arkansas is an elite team. Mississippi State's an elite team. Vanderbilt, Florida, maybe LSU, uh, Ole Miss. I mean, do the math. That's half the league. Texas A&M is going to be good. Uh, Tennessee is good. Auburn's nationally ranked. You're past the halfway point on teams in the league that can kick your ass on any given weekend. And so there's going to come a weekend for Ole Miss, for Arkansas, for Mississippi State, where you are off just a little bit and you run into a buzzsaw and you get torn up for a weekend. And how your ability to recover from that and bounce back, that's what separates great teams from really good ones. We'll see. I mean, you know, there's no adversity yet. There will be adversity. There's going to be a weekend where, I don't know, maybe it's Vanderbilt. You know, you run into Kumar Rocker and, and, and Leiter and who knows, that, that team is so talented, where, you know, you get beat 7-1, to 6-1, to one, Eight to four, and you look up and you're like, "Whoa, we just got run over, steamrolled." Now we got to go to Mississippi State next weekend. That kind of thing, you know. That's that's what's coming on the schedule, and we'll we'll find out. But the early signs, just kind of watching their body language and stuff, is that they're they're. I think they're one of probably five teams in the SEC that is a legitimate national title contender, and and the way that they carry themselves is is probably really encourage. If you're an Ole Miss fan, it has to be pretty encouraging. Now, jumping over to football here because, you know, everybody wants to talk about the lane train. I think being an outside guy looking in, the lane train's exciting. It's an exciting brand of football. How would you grade the first year of the lane train, and what are your expectations heading into the second season in spring football? Oh, I mean, look, I think it's an A-, minus B plus. I mean, here's the thing. Ole Miss football for the four years before Kiffin got here, even the diehard Ole Miss fans, I think, would probably admit this. It was boring. They they weren't relevant. Nobody thought about Ole Miss. Nobody talked about Ole Miss. Ole Miss, Ole Miss, Ole Miss wasn't in the news. Uh, you know, people weren't drawn to Ole Miss football. It was boring. And it's not a knock on Matt Luke or his staff or anything like that, but it was boring. I mean, if you go back and look at it, what was the highlight? John Rice Plumley could he could play the piano and he could sing and you know, and he 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 ran for a bunch of yards after games got away. They weren't good. They were a, they were abysmal at times. So Kiffin comes in, he makes them relevant immediately. He kind of gives them this fun little edge and they break out the powder blue uniforms and people get excited and Kiffin throws the thing, you know, the clipboard or whatever, the play call sheet up in the air, and they give Alabama hell, and, and, and they play Florida well, and they, they probably should have beaten Auburn and didn't. Um, you know, they had a pretty good year. They go five and five, and um, nobody blew them out. To me, that was one of the things is that, you know, in the past years, they would play in Alabama or an Auburn or, or whatever and just get mauled, just get mauled. You know, games are over in the second quarter. Well, they were entertaining. Now, what's the next step? Look, you play in the in the SEC West, which means you play in the same division with Alabama and Texas A&M and LSU and Auburn, you know the rest. That's, that's who you're up against, and those rosters are just stacked. And so you've got to recruit 
to equal those rosters. And that's not a one-year deal. That's not a two-year deal. That's a three- or four-year deal if it goes well. And it's not like Alabama's going to stop recruiting. They're probably not. They're probably going to keep going. So you're, you're, you're chasing a really fast car. Um, but he's made them exciting. I think they'll be better on defense. He did a wonderful job. He and Jeff Levy did a wonderful job with Matt Corral a year ago. Uh, Matt's going to have the benefit of playing in the same system for two years in a row. It's the first time in his college career that this is, hey, an offseason with the same offensive coordinator. That hasn't happened to him since he's been at Ole Miss. So I, I think it's conceivable that, that he's, his game makes a jump. They've got a lot of weapons on offense. They've got to replace Elijah Moore, but everybody else is kind of back. Um, I, I, their schedule's pretty favorable. Here's the thing, Mitch. I look at their schedule, and don't get me wrong, I'm not predicting 10-2. and two. But when I look at their schedule, there's only two games that I go, that's a loss. Um, I don't think they can win at Alabama, and I don't think they can beat Texas A&M. The other games, that they can win. I mean, if you told me that Ole Miss beat Auburn, I'm, okay. If you told me that Ole Miss beat LSU at home, I can see that. Ole Miss beats um, Arkansas at home, yeah. In fact, I expect that. If you told me that Ole Miss goes to Mississippi State and wins, I could see that. Uh, that they beat Louisville in, in Atlanta, yeah. I, in fact, I think that probably will happen. And then the, the, the other non-league games, and they beat Vanderbilt, and you look up and you're a 9-3, and 10-2 and two type program. Now, is that what I'm predicting? No, because that's not really how sports works. But if you told me that next year Ole Miss was an eight and four team that was pushing nine and three and nationally ranked and attractive and recruits were excited and uh, they're headed to maybe you know a Florida type bowl again, I'd buy that completely. And in that scenario, uh, with full stadiums, that stadium's going to be packed. It's going to be rocking. People are going to be packed into the Grove. People are going to be excited. And in so many ways, that's what they brought Lane Kiffin to Oxford to do initially was to just pump fresh blood into the program to pump energy into the program. And I think that can happen. Now I know it's a long answer. The next question is, can you take the next step? I don't know, but you can't take that step until you take the first and second steps. You don't catch Alabama in an off season. <laughs> no, you, 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 and I don't know that you can catch them, but in a scenario where you become competitive with Alabama and A&M and LSU and Auburn, it's incremental. There's no, there's no skip, step skipping. Texas A&M's finding that out. You see that with what Jimbo's doing in College Station. It's incremental. And I think Lane gives Ole Miss a chance more than his predecessors to actually take those steps. Now, I'm going to ask you this about the schedule before we get talking a little college basketball action. Liberty and Mississippi State in the month of November. First, how how is that welcome home going to be for Hugh Freeze? Is it going to be hostile? Is it going to be kind of an open arm, kind of awkward. Like, how is that going to be? And the second question is, what is the current state of the Egg Bowl? We've seen it get ugly. We've seen it get really nasty, really fun, to be honest with you. But we've also seen it kind of tame out a little bit this year. What's the current state of the Egg Bowl? Well, the first part is really up to freeze. You know, I mean, kind of depends on how he handles it, how he approaches it. Um, everything that happened here is his fault. If he'll own that, and he sometimes does, sometimes doesn't. If he'll own it that week, it's okay. Most people are pretty appreciative of what he did, I think. Um, there's still a segment that wishes he was the coach. Kiffin's kind of killed that off. I think it would have been different if Ole Miss were struggling and Ole Miss were bad, and here comes Hugh Freeze with Liberty in. 
and people are like, you know, we suck because of you. I think that would have that would have been a little volatile. As it stands, I think it'll be fine. I mean, look, <clears throat> if Ole Miss is what I think Ole Miss will be next year, the storyline won't really be about Hugh Freeze. It'll still be about Lane Kiffin and Jeff Lebby and where this team is. And, you know, I, I think Corral has a chance to put up the kind of numbers where he's on the periphery of the Heisman conversation. Um, don't get me wrong. I don't think Ole Miss can win enough games for Matt Corral to win the Heisman. So don't – I'm not going – before anybody goes, oh, my God, he's being a homer. I said on the periphery of the conversation where people are talking about Matt Corral and looking at his numbers and going, whoa, you know, I mean, because NFL people are saying, hey, this could be a first-round pick. So it's kind of that deal. And in that scenario, I don't really think people are hyper-focused on Hugh Freeze. Um, it's a game Ole Miss has to win. It's a game Lane Kiffin has to win. It would be embarrassing, I think, for the program to lose to Hugh Freeze and Liberty. Um, and then the second part of your question about the Egg Bowl, it, some of the poison feels like it's out of it. It's not as vitriolic. It's still a rivalry, and they still jab each other, and Kiffin likes to jab at Mississippi State. But Kiffin, the one thing I'll, I'll, I'll give Kiffin this, he's a Twitter genius. Because even when he takes shots at people on Twitter, it comes across as playful and funny, and people don't get so hyper-offended. Um, and I think as long as he does it that way, it's okay. And, and, and look, Mike Leach doesn't hate Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin doesn't hate Mississippi state. There's none of that. I mean, they like each other. Neither one of them are from Mississippi. They're not emotionally engaged in the game past that being their employers. And I do think that's taken some of the poison out of it where it's not just so freaking nasty because look, Ole Miss and Mississippi State at some point are going to learn the lesson from their next-door neighbors. Alabama and Auburn operate, and I worked in that state for a long time, they operate under an understanding of mutual destruction. If you destroy us, we're going to destroy you. And if you don't destroy us, we're not going to destroy you. And Alabama and Auburn have been able to function at a pretty high level over the course of time. And yeah, they want to beat each other and the rivalry matters and they don't like one another and stuff like that, but they don't do this poisonous NCAA stuff to one another, like what happened in, in Mississippi. And look at, look at how it impacted both programs. I mean, a lot of people thought, oh, you know, Mississippi State took Ole Miss down. They did, but look at Mississippi State. I mean, they fell off too. So I, maybe the lesson's been learned. We'll see. But last year it felt, now the pandemic played into that, but last year it felt a little calmer and I don't get the sense that we're going back in that direction. I hope not, because it was so toxic that it really wasn't fun. Yeah. Now, jumping over to the hardwood, I've got a couple questions for you. What is going on with Ole Miss? This is a – it's so weird because this is a team that just lost to a terrible Mississippi State team at home, but since then turns around, goes to Columbia, and beats Missouri. What's going on with Ole Miss basketball, and do they have an identity? Uh, kind of, I mean, look, they're, they're slightly above average basketball team that, uh, is pretty good on defense, struggles to score. And on nights where Devonte Shuler shoots well on nights when they can run the offense through Romello white in the post, when they get contributions from, you know, Luis Rodriguez or, or Jarkel Joyner or whatever, when they, when they 
get that. They can they can beat you. They've they've beaten uh, Missouri twice. They've beaten Tennessee. They've they've beaten Auburn. They've they've won some games. Um, they're also a team that lost twice to Georgia, lost to Mississippi State at home, um, blew a lead at Florida. That was a killer. Blew a lead against Dayton. Blew a lead against Wichita State. They've they've had those games that haunt them. Um, you know. As we tape this, they're eight and seven in the league. They've got Vanderbilt twice and Kentucky at home. They've got to beat Vanderbilt both of the games. They can't lose one of those games. And then I think they have to beat Kentucky. And if they do, and I don't know if they can. I, Ole Miss is such a Jekyll and Hyde sort of team that it, it, predicting what they're going to do is proving to be impossible. Um, if they beat Kentucky and they beat Vanderbilt twice, they'll be 11 and seven in the league going to Nashville and their net would probably be around 50, maybe in the high 40s. And in this particular year, where the tournament's going to want to get teams who are pretty COVID steady, uh, Ole Miss has been that. They had their COVID issue at the beginning of November, and, and since then they've been fine. I would think they'd be attractive, but who knows, Mitch? I mean, I don't. no one knows what the committee's going to look at this year because do you look at non-league in a year where non-league was – affected by COVID? Uh, do you look at non-league in a year that schedules were ripped apart by COVID? And so teams like Ole Miss, for example, is one of these teams that had a different schedule than what they ended up playing because of COVID. Do you punish them for that? Do you just look at the number as, hey, the numbers are what the numbers are? I don't know. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Maybe they do some forgiveness. Maybe they just look at league record and go, okay, well, the SEC was pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. They went 11-7 and seven in the league. Maybe they won a game in Nashville, lost a game. I, I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, Ole Miss is probably a bubble team. So maybe they get in. Maybe they don't. Um, if they don't get in, they have no one to blame but themselves because they blew uh, a late lead against Georgia at home. They blew a lead against Florida. They blew a lead against Dayton. They blew a lead against Wichita State. Um, changed two of those games. And, and we're not having this conversation. They're in because the bubble's so fragile. But if you look at the other teams on the bubble, those are teams that are full of warts too. This is not a beauty pageant. I mean, you know, I mean, everybody on the bubble walking down the runway, you're like, oh boy. I mean, you know, I mean, I guess she's kind of pretty. I don't know, you know, and, or they go into the talent competition and the, 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 they, they sing the entire song off, off key. It's kind of the bubble. So, They've got a shot, which is more than I thought they'd have three, four weeks ago. But they've they've got to finish it right. They've got to beat Vanderbilt both times. They probably need to beat Kentucky. If they don't beat Kentucky, they need to make noise in Nashville. We'll see. It's a such a weird league. It's a league where Alabama's really good, but not dominant. Um, Arkansas's won eight in a row and has a chance – at times looks really good, could go on a run. And after those two teams, man, I don't see a team in the SEC where I'm like, oh, yeah, that that team for sure is winning two tournament games. Like I think Alabama's a Sweet 16 team. I think Arkansas's got a real shot to be a Sweet 16 team. After that, I mean, I'm not betting on Tennessee. I'm not betting on Missouri. I'm not betting on Florida. Maybe they do it. Maybe they don't. But I, I wouldn't. no one would be shocked if those teams lost in the first round. Um Right now, Kentucky might be the hottest team in the league from just a pure talent standpoint, and they've got 13 losses. It's just a weird league, so we'll, we'll see. I mean, LSU 
You know, I mean, you, you watch them. They lost at Florida, at Georgia the other night. I mean, you don't watch LSU and go, oh, yeah, that, that team for sure, man. They're going on a run. You, you just don't see that. So we'll find out. And, and the thing about LSU is you don't know if Will Wade's going to be here tomorrow. I mean, this that is a ticking time bomb. That's a whole different conversation for a different day. Last question I have for you is SEC tournaments two and a half weeks away. How do you see this thing playing out? Like you mentioned Kentucky, mentioned Alabama, but realistically, of course, Auburn's not playing, but realistically, 12, 13 teams can win the SEC tournament. Who do you have winning the SEC tournament right now? Um, just because I'm a cynic, I'd probably pick Kentucky. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I mean, look, here's the thing. Auburn's not going to be there. Texas A&M hadn't played in a month. Are they even going to be there? I mean, no one knows. Um, Vanderbilt's pretty depleted. So I would probably disagree with you about how many teams could win it. Like, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't see Ole Miss or Missouri, for example, winning four games in four days. I, I, that that doesn't feel realistic to me. Now, on the other hand, if you are, uh, if you, if your ticket to the tournament is punched in the back of your mind, you're thinking, hey, we've got to make sure that we go seven straight days with no COVID positives. Do you really want to hang out in Nashville? If you're Alabama, if you're Arkansas, if you're Florida, if you're Tennessee, do you really want to hang out in Nashville for four or five days? Or do you want to get back where you can kind of get in your own little bubble cocoon and make sure you don't have a problem? I don't know. I mean, these are competitive people. I mean, I don't, I don't watch Nate Oates coach and think he's going to Hey, let's toss in. Let's toss in the towel. Yet at the same, on the same hand, you know he's probably thinking to himself in the back of his mind, "I'd love to win, but if we don't, it's okay." And so, you know, for example, Alabama's going to play on that Friday in Nashville. That game's not going to be anywhere near as important as the game it's going to play nine, ten days later somewhere in Indiana. So, I don't know. We'll see. There's. There's only going to be a handful of teams that have something to play for there. So you, you just never know. It's going to be a different environment. It's going to be, it's not going to be, you know, the sea of blue that carries Kentucky like it always kind of does. It's just going to going to look different. It's going to feel different. Like everything else this year, it's kind of probably going to be pretty unpredictable. He is Neil McCready. Tell them how they can follow you on Twitter and find all of your excellent work. Uh, well, you can follow me on Twitter if you if you want to, um, and if you don't, that's okay. It's uh, Neil McCready is is my Twitter. I don't tweet a lot of Ole Miss stuff, if I'm honest. If you want Ole Miss tweets, go to follow Rebel Grove on on Twitter, and then uh, you can find the site at rebelgrove.com. It's part of the Rivals Network. You can go to rivals.olemiss.com as well. So um, so all all that's there. We we probably cover uh, college baseball more than more than the overwhelming majority of of News outlets, we have a lot of coverage there, a lot of basketball. Spring football starts in um, late March, so we'll have that covered as well. So there's a lot of stuff there. If, you are, um, if you're an Ole Miss fan, there's a lot there. Our community is a, uh, a pretty interesting community on the, on the Grove message board. So I think, I think it alone is worth the, the price. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Hope to talk with you soon. All right, Mitch. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You have been listening to the Mitch Davis Show. I've been your host and founder, Mitch Davis. You can follow me on Twitter at MitchDavis underscore eight. Like and follow the Facebook and Instagram pages by typing in the Mitch Davis Show. 
And also check out the website as well at themitchdavisshow.com. A very special thank you to Neil McGrady for, for coming on the podcast today to talk all things Ole Miss athletics, including the current state of athletics in the state of Mississippi and opening the stadiums back up and opening the economies back up. A lot of exciting things going on in the world of college sports in the state of Mississippi. Thank you for listening to the Mitch Davis Show. Be sure you follow our social media sites and also head on over to the website at themitchdavisshow.com. Have a great weekend, folks, and enjoy some good college baseball and some exciting college basketball as well.